I'm always interested to see how the Lord will direct things. Thank you, Brother Jonathan. Excellent psalm. I love your interpretation of it, and I love a selection of it. It fits perfectly with what I, the Lord led me to speak to today. I hope you listened carefully to what our brother said. If we could get that lesson down, I don't need to say anything more to you. But the Lord has us here, and so we will continue on. If you got the preparation and were able to go through it last night or sometime in the last day or so, there were three chapters recommended that you look at in Second Chronicles. I am very thankful for the difference that God makes in, in all of our lives, in the backgrounds that we all come from. In particular, I'm thankful for the background the Lord gave me. Uh, I had to come out of a Presbyterian background. They've got all sorts of heresies that I denounce that I think are stupid and foolish, and I'm thankful for deliverance from them. But one of the good things the Lord provided from me, for me, through that background was a good understanding of the Old Testament. Presbyterians hold too much to the Old Testament. They want to take the Old Testament form and shackle it onto the New Testament which is not the case whatsoever if you understand Scripture appropriately. But I'm very thankful for the fact that as a child, I wasn't just uh, fixated on John 3.16. All of Scripture was read to me, in particular the Old Testament. And if you look at the way our Bible is laid out, the New Testament is much smaller than the Old Testament. Most of the Old Testament is history. It's accounts of the lives of God's people and how he dealt with them. So that they are very excellent from that standpoint of giving us an example of how God deals with his people. And all you have to do is read a little bit here and there and you see that the lessons are the same. You know, we're pretty stupid. Human beings are pretty dumb. We forget things real easy, you know. Uh, and so the Lord had to keep teaching the same lessons over and over and over and over again. That's why I want, I suggested that we read a couple of chapters in preparation for today. We're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And you can turn there if you would. But the chapters we read in preparation for this should help give you that background. <clears throat> Whether you read them or not, I'm going to give you a quick overview of that background. Chapter, let's see here, 14 of 2 Chronicles talks about Asa. When you go and you start looking at the list of the kings of Judah and Israel, it's real simple when it comes to Israel, they're all bad kings. They go from bad to worse. So there's not really much gradation there except how bad they can be. Amongst Judah, you'll have those, you have three kings who are at the top, the pinnacle. There's David. Actually, he was the king of the United Nation. Then all the other kings of Judah, which are his descendants, are compared to him. You have men like Hezekiah, who are said to be just like him. Just like David. He had mistakes like David did, but overall his character was excellent. You have my favorite, Josiah, 
who was just like David. Then you have men who are not quite as good, but in the same mold as David. They did good things. They sought the Lord. But they had a few more problems in their lives. Asa is one of those. Asa is commended as a king who was, did that which is good and right in the Lord's eyes. Second Chronicles 14, verse 2. It talks about, in the first few verses there of chapter 14, of how he purified the nation. He went through and made sure the people understood Jehovah, who they worshipped. Right. He had their, the law read to them and taught them from that. And in chapter 14, we see his first test come about, which I referred to, that great prayer. And that is that Zerah, the Ethiopian, came against Asa with over a million men, which again is the largest numerical account we have of any enemy going against God's people in Scripture. A million. Now, he had a decent standing army, but nowhere near that size. What did he do in his first test as a king? He trusted in the Lord. We, You heard, I opened up our service with his prayer before the Lord and how he trusted in the Lord and called on the Lord to defend them. And he had a great victory, a great victory over that huge host. <clears throat> Afterwards, the next chapter, which you didn't read, I would suggest you go back and read sometime, because after that great victory, in the light of that, Asa's heart was still lifted up in the ways of the Lord. He was still charged. The Lord sent his prophet to charge him up from that. He told him, that the Lord will be with you while you're with him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 2 through 7. And Asa, again, went and made a, even more of a revival in the nation at that time. He went through and they made a covenant. All the nation sat down and said, we're going to have a covenant with the Lord. Anybody who doesn't want to follow what the Lord teaches, let him be cut off. Let him be killed. Let's get rid of him. We don't want any halfway people in our kingdom. We want everybody dedicated to Jehovah. That's wonderful, isn't it? That's pretty good. But then some time passes. Time passes. He reigned for 41 years. The last two years of his reign, we see a second problem that came up before him and how he stumbled. In his 39th year, we find out that Israel was coming against him. They wanted to build some cities, kind of gateways to hedge in and to keep Judah from being able to go out and do commerce and be out with other nations. He wanted to cut them off from the rest of the nations. We find this in chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 16. And what does this great king who sought the Lord's face who prayed to him early in his reign, what did he do at this time? Suddenly he became a pragmatist. He went and he took all the gold and silver that were in the house of the Lord, the gold and silver that he had in the treasury, and he went to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, and said, hey, you've got a truce, I mean, you've got a, a, a treaty with Israel right now. Hey, my dad and your dad had treaties in the past. Here, here's a gift. Join with me. Break your treaty with Israel. 
Ben-Hadad said, hey, your money looks good. I'll do that. So he broke his treaty with Israel and allied with Judah. And then it talks about how Asa had the people go up and take all the building materials for those two cities, haul them away, and he used those to reinforce the cities of Judah. Well, you say, hey, that's pretty wise, pretty understanding man, isn't it? Not really. That's why I said he turned to pragmatist. Because the prophet comes to him afterwards and says, what did you do? Wasn't the host of the Ethiopians much larger than this? And God delivered you from them, didn't he? You've done foolishly. From now on, you're going to have nothing but war in your kingdom. Now, brethren, do we ever make mistakes? Do we ever make mistakes, brethren? Yeah, we make mistakes. Do we need somebody to correct us? Very often, where do we get corrected? Isn't it from right here in this pulpit? Every Sunday morning, the Lord, through our brother, will bring up, or one of the other men in this congregation will bring up something where we've slipped, where we've fallen back from what we should do, where we've not followed properly what the Lord commanded us to do, right? What's the solution when you make a mistake? Admit it and move forward. Make the corrections. Take the correction and go forward. But what did Asa do? In that case, Asa got really upset. He put the prophet in prison. And the scripture tells us he even oppressed his people some at that time. Very interesting. You read a few more verses down in that same chapter and it says, you know what? He had a health problem come up at that time. He was diseased in his feet. Now, what happens to us when we get sick? Do we look for good means to try to take care of our illness? Yes, we do. But what's one of the first means we consider using? It's going to the Lord. Specifically states that he did not go to the Lord. He went to the physicians, but he did not go to the Lord. Well, two years later, he died of that. This is background material. This is the father of Jehoshaphat who we look at in chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is one of the other good kings of Israel, of Judah. He's listed as one of the good kings in chapter 22. It tells us about him, of first kings. That he started reigning in Ahab's fourth year. Ahab, does that name ring a bell? What was Ahab known for? He was wicked. How wicked? What did he institute in the nation of Israel? You know, the ten tribes that had taken away from Judah? What did they do way back when? What was Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who took over that nation? He was their first king. What was his initial pragmatic move that the Lord hated and called in question from that point forward and everyone who followed it? He said, you know what? If I allow the people, if I give them a reason to go back to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah in the temple there, well, eventually they're going to lose interest in me and my kingdom. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pick two cities. I'm going to build a couple of golden calves. Isn't that what Israel wanted to worship way back when, when they came out of Egypt? 
Yeah, I'm going to be with a couple of golden calves. We're going to set them up. And here, O Israel, are your gods. Worship here. This is the Lord's worship here. And he appointed the lowest people of the kingdom to be the priests. So they wouldn't go to the Levites and the sons of Aaron in Jerusalem. Ahab did one better than that. Ahab took the conflicting, the major god of the area, Baal, and instituted that as the official religion of Israel. Baal worship. So God hated him. God despised that man and anyone who followed him. So, it's at this time that Jehoshaphat comes on the scene. He is 35 years old when he begins to reign. His daddy reigned for 41 years, Asa. He ended up reigning for 25 years. But think about that. If he's 35 when he starts, he can remember some of the stuff. He may have been a child when Asa had his first encounter with the Ethiopians, right? But he was able to see some of the benefits of his father's kingdom. He also saw his father's ending. And he learned some things from that. Let's see if we can learn some things. How did he start off? It tells us in 2 Chronicles 17 that he walked in the ways, the first ways of his father David. It talks about the fact that he sought the Lord God of his fathers. He took what was good in his heritage and he followed that. Brethren, there's nothing wrong with a heritage if it's a godly heritage. If you've got a godly father, godly grandfather, a godly line that you've come through, there's nothing wrong with taking on some of those things. Just make sure that you do check out and follow those things that are according to Scripture. But that's what he did. And the Lord established his kingdom. The Lord blessed him because he was doing what was right. It tells us the next verse in Second Chronicles 17 that his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. And what did that lead to? He took princes from the nation, other princes in Judah and some of the Levites. He sent them through the land and said, teach God's law to the people. You know, yes, I'm their king. I should be in charge of things, but they need to know the Lord. They need to worship him aright. So let's give them the knowledge. Let's give them the understanding they need to do that. And it talks about the fact that the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms around them so that they had peace. Interesting, brethren. Do you, do you look at those little things or do you just read over them? The fact that it says that when he was doing all of this, his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. He was insisting the nation know how to worship the Lord. Suddenly they got peace. The people all around them are afraid of them. All of a sudden, you've got people who remember, you know, Israel came out of Egypt when Egypt was the world power. These people came out and and Egypt was denuded. They were bankrupt when they left because they gave all their wealth to these people saying, please leave us, go. We don't want your God's hand on us any longer. And think about those mighty kingdoms that were in the land before they arrived, that are no longer there. All of a sudden, they had peace. Because they had a large standing army, go back and read. You'll see 
It talks about preparations that each of these kings made. In this case, that Jehoshaphat made. He wasn't a fool. He did take natural steps, but what was the first step that he took? It was looking to the Lord. It was getting his heart right with the Lord personally. Then making sure that those he had authority over, their hearts were right with the Lord. And they understood what needed to be done. Great king. You can see why the Lord said, hey, he's just like David. But then we come to the chapter, one of the chapters you read, chapter 18. And what does it tell us there? What's the very first sentence say? That he made affinity with Ahab. Somebody please help me. I'm over 50. I'm, I'm starting to forget things. What does the word affinity mean? He made marriage. He had his son marry the daughter of Ahab. But they were related, weren't they? I mean, that's part of, that was Israel. That was 10 of the 12 tribes. So what? They worship Baal. It's worse. A few years pass by. It tells us in chapter 18 and what happens. He wants to go visit his in-laws. Oh, and they throw him a wonderful feast. After all, Ahab's a king, right? He can throw a good feast and he wants to make sure his buddy over in Judah is happy with him. He also has an ulterior plan, doesn't he? He wants to go to war with some folks and hey, having a couple hundred thousand more troops on your side, that's only smart, right? So he wines and dines Jehoshaphat. They're sitting there together. You know, they're all mellow. You know what it's like when you have a good meal? You know, you're feeling good. You're relaxed. You're, everything's, the world's wonderful, right? Especially if you're a king. And then what happens? You know what? I've got this problem over here with these folks. You want to go to war with me on, with them? Sure. My people are as your people. My armies is your army. But you know what? Do you think it's a good thing to do? Oh, yes, it's a great thing to do. And he trots out his 400 priests and all with one voice say, Oh, God, we've inquired of God. And he says, Go forth and prosper. That's impressive, isn't it? Impressive when you get 400 men saying the same thing. Well, but... Jehoshaphat still has a little bit of sense left in him. The Lord was kind to him. He gave him a little bit of sense left. He said, well, that's, that's wonderful. But you know, I see in all these robes, I don't see a representative of Jehovah here. So can we, is there somebody from Jehovah that we can ask if that's right or not? Well, yeah, there is one of his prophets around here, but I'll be honest with you. <laughs> This is Ahab. I, I, I don't like him. Right. You know, he's just a, a malcontent. You know, nothing I can do ever pleases him. He's always calling me in question for what I'm doing. But since you brother want him, we, we'll go get him. Okay? And if you read the account, right, of course he sends a representative there, and the representative, being very politically correct, says, Hey, look, all of the guys said... All the religious fellowship has said it's good to go to war. God's going to support this. So understand, it's good to go to war. That's your message, right? Micaiah the prophet says, 
I'm going to say what the Lord tells me to say. Right. Don't worry right. about that. But what's gone in the meantime? It says that the priests are out there. Those 400 prophets are saying, the Lord has said. Do you read that? All capital letters. Jehovah said. Oh, all of a sudden the prophets of Baal have a revelation from Jehovah. Oh, they'll mouth it. They'll say they have. Micaiah comes up. Center stage in front of the two kings sitting in all their royal uh, uh, garments. And what does he say? Go forth and prosper. The Lord's going to bless what you want to do. Ahab sees the, the sneer on his face and says, Hey, come on now. I abjure thee by your God to tell me what's the truth. He says, Okay, fine. I saw all Israel like sheep scattered. Across the fields. And the Lord said, hey, let them go home. They're without a leader. Let them go home to their own homes. And the Lord gives us a wonderful piece of insight of how he does things at times, right? And what is it in this case? There was a little debate going on in heaven. How the Lord had a plan. The Lord said, I want Ahab to go in battle and die. I'm tired of him cluttering up the earth. He's going to die in this battle. But what's the best way to do it? What's the way that's going to give me the most glory from it? Well, one angel says this, another angel says that, then finally one steps forward and says, Oh, I'll be a lying prophet. I'll lie in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he'll believe them. And then he'll go forth into battle and be killed. And the Lord says, You know what? That sounds good to me. That's an excellent plan. He's a proud man who won't listen to reason. Sure, give him a lie. That sounds good to me. Go forth and you're going to prosper in doing it. And what was Ahab's attitude? Ahab's attitude is, how oh, I can defeat God. I can, I, I'm smarter than God. Anyway, you know the results, right? He goes into battle. Oh, before we go there, notice how dumb you can get. How dumb can you get when you're not following the Lord? Jehoshaphat, who had enough sense to ask for a prophet of the Lord, when he hears the prophet give his message, what is his reaction? It just goes right over his head. Because then Ahab says, well, you know what he said? He said that, you know, I'm going to go in battle and die. <laughs> we'll do it one better. You go looking like a king, right? You'll attract everybody's attention. But I'm going to act like I'm just one of the captains of the army. I'm just one of the regular soldiers. I'll just be like that, you know, and nobody will get me. We'll just see who's who's who, right? Who can do better? And Jehoshaphat, oh, that sounds good to me. Yeah, uh-huh, that's good. Stupid! His own prophet had said what God was going to do. But you see, brethren, once you start down the path of compromise, you don't stop. Anyway, we go ahead, and what happens? The king of Syria has said, I want Ahab. Ahab's the only thing I care about in this battle. He's rebelling against me, so take him out, guys. He gives that order to his captains. So they see what looks like the royal banner in the middle of the battle, and that's where they congregate. They go right after it. But as soon as they get there... For whatever reason, no, it's not for whatever reason. It's because the Lord was kind to Jehoshaphat. Right. The, the Lord let them realize, oh, wait a minute, guys. This isn't Ahab. This must be 
Jehoshaphat or somebody else. This isn't Ahab, though. So right at the point where they could have wiped him out, they turn aside. And it says the man at a venture. Oh, there's the army out there. I'm just going to see who I can hit. i got to hit somebody. Went right through the creek, the crack in the armor of Ahab. He was able to stay up the rest of the day, but he bled to death and died at the end of that battle. Now, what happened? Was this a stumble? Would you consider this a stumble in Jehoshaphat's life? (laughs) Yeah. He gets rebuked in chapter 19. You didn't read that, but chapter 19, Jehu, who's the son of Hanani, who had prophesied to Asa, his father, and had corrected him and gotten thrown in jail for his trouble, his son comes before Jehoshaphat and says, What are you doing? Are you going to be friends with the enemies of the Lord? But you know what? The Lord's hammer is not going to come down on you. This is New Eastland's interpretation, okay? Giving you the sense. The hammer is not going to come down on you because there's still some good things left in your life. Now, what happened when Asa was confronted? He got upset. He disregarded the instructions of the Lord. And he paid for it. The Lord allowed Jehoshaphat to learn from that. Because what did Jehoshaphat do? When he was rebuked by Jehu, he took it. And what does it say that he did? He instituted revival in Judah. He went back through the land a second time, instilling the worship of God. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verses 5-11. through 11. And he appoints new judges. And those judges, what does he tell them to do? Judge what's right. Execute justice between brother and brother. And do it in the fear of the Lord. You fear the Lord and you do what's right as you're judging the people. Well, based on that, now we come to our passage. Please now turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Let's read through and look at Jehoshaphat's test and his triumph and see what lessons we can learn from it. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It came to pass after this also, after the background that you've just had, that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria and beyond. They that be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. There's a huge army coming against you, Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat feared. He was afraid. Do you ever get afraid, brethren, of things that you see coming at you? Yes. Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. That's natural. Many times it's a good thing to be afraid. It puts us in our place. All too often we think we're somebody. We think we can take on this world. Let me give you a hint. We can't. Not by ourselves. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. 
What was his reaction? Was it a pragmatic move? Let's see how much money we can scrounge up. Let's see what new alliances we can make. Let's see what we can do. No, his first thought was, we got to go to the Lord. we got to seek his help. Let's start fasting, everybody. Rather than a physical, he looked for a spiritual solution to his problem here. And Judah gathered themselves, verse 4, to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Isn't that good how the preparation he'd made in the past, it pays off now. Everybody else understands what we need to do. We don't need to get a new draft. We don't need to get a new set of military implements for the battle. We need to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation, verse 5, of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court. He assembles everybody to Jerusalem, gets everybody together. He leads. He doesn't wait for wifey to tell him what to do. He leads. He takes charge in going to the Lord. Men in our households, are we known for being the ones who are in charge? Do mama and children see us going to the Lord when we have problems? Is that what our children grew up seeing? I remember we had this big problem back there. Mom and daddy were real worried. But daddy set us down and he said, you know what? The Lord's going to take care of us. Let's go pray to him to ask for his help. He gathers them all together in his preparation. And he prays to the Lord. Brethren, how important is prayer? Prayer is the most important thing we can do if we want to influence the Lord. Next to our lives. Living a holy life and then going to the Lord are the safest ways to have a prosperous, healthy life. I'm sorry, I just gave away my whole theme. Starting at verse 6, down through verse 12, let's take a look at his prayer. And said, O Lord, God of our fathers, Art thou not God in heaven? And rulest not thou over the kingdoms of the, of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou not our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? And they dwelt therein, And have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now, behold the children of Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, 
which thou hast given to us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Notice, what did he start off by doing? Did he right away go into, well, Lord, we need this, we need that? No. He talked to the Lord. He acknowledged who he was talking to. He acknowledged that he was the sovereign who had dominion over all the world. O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? He acknowledged God's power. He acknowledged God's sovereignty. More than that, brethren, think about this as we go through a prayer like this. There's all, there's multiple levels that are working here. The first thing is we're acknowledging God. We're lifting Him up. That's what He is. The ruler. Brethren, we're also reminding ourselves. Who are we going to in prayer? He's the being that can do anything. He can do everything. Because there isn't anything and there's not an everything without him willing it to be. He's in charge of everything. Is there anything to... I mean, he made everything. He sustains it all. Is there any lack of power in his hand? No way. See, it works both ways. This is in our prayers. We're saying, we should be saying things that acknowledge and honor him. And that remind us of who we're praying to. And the first part is, he's all powerful. Nobody can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? That's what Nebuchadnezzar would say, right? Over in Daniel chapter 4. So right away, we're talking about the guy that's got the power. We're talking about the being who has all power over all flesh. Also, art thou not our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? Now we're talking about the fact that we're reminding him of his goodness and his kindness towards us. And we're reminding ourselves as well. We're God's people. God, it's us, your children. We're the ones coming to you. Do you think about yourself in that state, brethren, that you're a child of God? He's got a vested interest in you, right? Were, were any of us natural-born citizens of heaven? No, no. I mean, in the U.S., you have to go through naturalization, right, if you're not born in our country to become a citizen. What's the naturalization process of the kingdom of heaven? It's called the cross. It was the death of Jesus Christ. The most valuable thing that the Lord had, his only blessed son, he gave it up for us. And his blessed son 
gave up his life. Gave up his fellowship for a period of time with the father that he'd never had broken for us. So, that's a pretty valuable commodity there. Not because we're anything, brethren, but because he chose us. Keep it straight. Because he chose us, we're valuable. So, remind him of that in your prayers. Remind yourself of what he gave for you. Am I, am I living worthy of that great being who gave me life? Who delivered me from the curse of his own law? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house and cry unto thee in our affliction, then wilt thou hear and help. They're claiming their own righteousness, brethren. Lord, you've taught us what we ought to do, and we've been doing it. We made a special place for you to worship you. And special requirements. If we've got a problem, we look to where our God is headquartered. We call to him for our help. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look to anybody else. We look to you, Lord. I know, brethren, if you're a really spiritual person, you say, what righteousness do I have? But if you're trying to live that righteous life, if you're trying to make that battle each day to be holy and righteous like you ought to do, you're doing so much more than anybody else is. And the Lord, if you can look back and see that you've ever done something according to God's word, you know it's because his spirit's with you to help you do it, right? The point is... We should be striving to live those holy lives so that when we come before him, the Lord will pay attention. We should be striving to live those holy lives so we've got a confidence that, yeah, I am his child. And he will listen to his children. I mean, you can't deny that. Scripture says it, right? The doubt's got to be, well, am I his child or not? Well, if you're living enough that demonstrates God's character in your life, then you can have that confidence to bring it up. David did it. David would do that. Is there anybody who could decry his sins like David in Scripture? No. But is there anybody who would lift up and say, Lord, you know what I've done for you? Well, let's be like David in our prayers. Let's let him know that, God, we've set time aside for you. I've cut off things in my life for you. I'm trusting in you, Father. That's what all these things mean. It's not because they're brownie points that you should pat me on the back for, Lord, but it's just showing you that I do love you, Father. And I'm trusting in you, so help me. And now, behold, verse 10, the children of, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us. You see, here's where you can make that difference. If you've lived that righteous life, you can say, Lord, look at my enemies. Lord, I've tried to be good to them. I've blessed them. I've prayed for them. I've not returned the evil for them that they've done to me. And look how they're treating me. They're not even giving me the, the, the due 
that I've done to them. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession. Again, you're claiming, you're not claiming something that you own because if you're right, it's something because God's given it to you. The Lord is the one who blessed you for it. See, Lord, you've blessed me and they're trying to steal it. You do what's right, Lord. I put it in your hands. Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Men, tell me, anytime you have your children come to you, Daddy, can I have something? Daddy, I would like, I'd like to have a puppy. You know, Daddy, can I have this? I mean, when they're coming to you, they're not like the children of this world where they're, you know, throwing a temper tantrum if they don't get what they want. But when they've been a good child and they're just coming to you in simplicity, Daddy, can I have something? What does it feel like to you? Do you want to just deny them and say, nah, you can't have that? Or do you want to go and do something even better than what they've asked for? I appeal to that, brethren, because Scripture tells us. Scripture points out so many ways in which God, He's above us. Understand it. He's above and beyond us. But it points out so many times in Scripture how He's given us emotions like he has. So we can relate to him. So I'm using that as the analogy. How do we feel towards our children? God is so much better at being a good being than us. He's so much better at being a merciful being than us. Again, what would you give to your enemy? To somebody who spat in your face, fought against you with all their might, ran away from you, and then you conquered in battle. What would you want to do to them? Grind them to powder, wouldn't you? What did he do to us? He delivered us from our sins. He delivered us from the strong man's house. Did he make us slaves for all eternity? No. Did he make us honored guests for all eternity? No. He made us children. We're the children of God. He's elevated us. We who are below the angels in glory and capability, he's elevated us above us because Paul tells us in one place that we're going to judge angels. My mind just went in overload, brethren. I don't know about you, but you know those, those awful, beautiful spiritual beings that an apostle, when he saw in their full unvarnished state, wanted to worship? And he had to be corrected by the angels. Don't worship me. Worship the Lord. We rule over those beings. Because God's elevated us to that place. Of being sons of God. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Which means from an inheritance standpoint, we're equal to him. Whatever he's inheriting, we're inheriting. Again, I'm sorry. Somebody catch me if I fall down. My mind just went on overload. 
God. Jesus Christ. We're equal to him. That's how good the Lord is. That's how powerful it is to claim your status as a child of God before him. We have no strength. We don't know what to do. Lord, we look to you. Daddy, we look to you. I trust you. I trust you to give me something as good or better, better, far better than what I can imagine. That was his prayer. How does the Lord answer him? I mean, this is pretty demeaning, isn't it? Coming like this. What does the Lord think about that? Verse 14, then said, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. The Lord didn't hesitate. He sends a man right away to give him a message. And he said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you. Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by this cliff of Ziph. And ye shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still. And see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Wow! What an answer. What an answer. Don't be afraid. It's not your battle, it's mine to fight. Is that not the answer of a a good father to his children? As... Our brother said, pointed out in that Psalm 25. Oh, are they picking on you? Don't worry about it. Daddy will take care of it. He told them to go down to see the battle. He told them to make the preparations and go to the battle. But you won't have to fight. You're just going to be spectators. You're going to be there. And, And I think this is important because we'll see later in just a moment what the preparations they actually made to go to this battle were. These aren't the battle, these aren't the preparations of people going to war. This looks more like a tailgate party to me. If you think about it, well, we'll read it in a second and you'll see. You won't have to fight, you'll be spectators. Get ready and see the salvation of the Lord. You see, when you've, in one sense, in prayer, Jehoshaphat's been buttering up the Lord. And I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm being respectful now. I'm not being foolish with this. Think about it. Everything has been, God, you're here, you're here. We're here, we're here, we're here. You're up there, Lord. We're down here. We trust in you, Lord. We don't have any ability. You've got all the ability. Notice the, 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 the different sides of that prayer. It starts off with God with all ability. It ends with us with no ability. And Father, our dependence is on you. Even when you're talking about the worship, they're claiming their own righteousness. Well, it's what you told us to do, Lord. So the Lord just, don't worry about a thing. You just get ready to see the battle. 
You get ready to see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid, he says it a second time. The Lord is with you. Brethren, if you have a prayer like this, if you can offer from your heart in sincerity a prayer like this, like Jehoshaphat did, this is the kind of response that God's going to give to you. He's going to give to me when we pray to him this way. Okay, and how do Joshua and the people respond? Verse 18 and 19, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Oh, worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Two responses. Wanting to fall down on their face to worship the Lord. Then wanting to jump on their feet and sing praises to the Lord. That's what we ought to be doing. Have you noticed? Is that kind of how our brother has directed us over time in our worship? He's just following the pattern he's seen and been taught in Scripture. We get ourselves low before the Lord and he raises us up. When he raises us up, we ought to be thankful to him for it. And then we ought to be loud in our praise and our thanksgiving for what he's done for us. Well, let's get down to the next day. The next day, let's take a look at the people's parade as they head out to battle. Verses 20 and 21. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets. So shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord. For his mercy endureth forever. What did Jehoshaphat do? He took up the role of a cheerleader. He was going to lead the nation. He was going to lead them in their praises of the Lord. And what is his words to them? Believe in the Lord. So shall you be established. Believe his prophets. So shall ye prosper. Brethren, again, this is a part of how we worship the Lord, and we've been taught over time. And that is the Lord gives us his word, but he also gives us men through whom we should we get understanding from it. So you follow what the Lord teaches, and you follow the directions you've been given by your pastor. Or what other men are in authority over you? Ladies, that's your husbands in your household. Children, that's your dad. When they're speaking the word of God, they are God's appointed messengers to you. And if they're doing their job right, it's a message of blessing. So you should be wanting to listen to it. You should be wanting to believe it. And believe here, we're talking about more than just an intellectual assent. Read through scripture. Belief is never when it's directed to God's people, meant to be simply a matter of intellectual assent. Right. 
Oh yes, those logical tenets sound true. These are things that are true that demand action in your life. True belief is to be living. Believe, be living. It's truths that affect your life. You hear it, and then you do something with it in your life. You walk in the, what do we call it, the highway of holiness? That's what Jehoshaphat is saying. Because where were they? I mean, if they just intellectually assented to what was said, they could have sat back in Jerusalem, right? Oh, the Lord's going to win the battle. We don't even need to go out to do it. No, the Lord said, go and I will deliver you. So what did they do? They believed the Lord. They went. They got up early in the morning to execute what God said. Remember earlier where it talked about the fact that it was Abraham, God's friend, whose descendants they were? Think back. When Abraham was given with the greatest test of his life to take his only son of promise up to the mountain to sacrifice him, what did he do? Did he mope? Did he moan? Did he drag his feet? No, the account says back in Genesis, he got up early to go do it. They went early to go to the battlefield. God didn't specify the time, but they wanted to get there quickly. They wanted to get there early. As we'll see, they wanted good seats to see what was going to happen. Unfortunately, the Lord beat them, so by the time they got there, well, we'll, uh, I'm getting ahead. Believe the Lord, your God. That's how you'll prosper. Believe his messengers. Believe his prophets. Believe his seers. Believe his servants. That's how you'll prosper in your life. And then, what did they do? Again, how do you go to battle? If you're going to go to a battle, and notice the Lord gave them specific instructions where to go to this battle. Are there anybody who, who, who likes military affairs here? When you go into battle, do you normally go just straight forward into battle, you know, waving flags and, and making noise as you come? Normally you want to be stealthy, don't you? You want to arrive at the battle scene beforehand. You want to place your troops in the right place so you can outflank the enemy and use the maximum amount of your power to disorder and destroy them with the minimum of damage to you, which normally means you don't want them to know where you are. But what did he do? He sets the band playing. He has the singers leading them as they go forward. Why? He trusted the Lord. He knew he didn't need to worry about any particular battle strategy. If the Lord said he's going to take care of it, fine. Let's praise the Lord. See, what was more important, tactical strategy or praise of the Lord? What was more, what was more, what should have been more important with his dad, Asa? Physicians or asking the Lord for healing? Even if the physicians give the answer, who gave the physicians the answer to the question? The Lord God. So they praise him with a loud voice. Well, what does the Lord do? Again, every word of God is precious. Verse 22. And when 
they began to sing and to praise the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. Like I said, they got up early to get good seats, but they got there too late. The game was already over. All they got there was in time to see the scoreboard. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord. I am running that together a little bit, right? Notice, when they began to sing and praise the Lord, that's when he started his battle plan in action. And what was the Lord's battle plan? I mean, you can sit there and think about, you know, double envelopment. You can think about, you know, hitting from the flanks. The Lord's better than that. He just did a little little rewiring in the brain box of all the fighters there. Here they were, allied together to go against Israel. Excuse me, against Judah. They're on the battlefield. They're getting ready. They're sharpening their swords, getting ready. And they're looking out there and suddenly it hits them. Hmm, you know. The guys over there in Mount Seir, they look a little weak today. Hey, if we hit them now, we can take them out. And all their stuff's ours. And they go and attack. Ammon, Moab, go attack the inhabitants of Mount Seir. They've taken them out. They're sitting there, you know, all covered in gore and blood, because that's what you did back then, right? It wasn't long-range Uh Slaughter like we have today, I mean, it was up close. You smelled the garlic on his breath from his breakfast type of battle. They're sitting there wiping the blood off, and they're sitting there eyeing each other saying, hey, you know, I think I saw a weakness in in that guy over there. I think I can take him out. He's one of the Ammonites, this guy from Moab. And the guy on the other side is thinking the exact same thing. You know, I think I I, I see see the tell. I know when he's going to go for an upward block, so I can just thrust underneath it when I see that. And all of a sudden, they're at each other's throat, even to where they're simultaneously slaughtering one another. So the Lord ensures that there's mutual destruction on both sides. Now tell me, can you think of a better way to fight a battle than that? Verse 24, And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness... See, they came out to the place where they could finally see the battlefield. They looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies, fallen to the earth, and none escaped. I mean, God, we, we know we have to read Scripture properly, right? There's sometimes when God will use metaphors. He'll use analogies, right? We don't take the words literally. But in this case, he literally meant it. You're not going to have to fight at all. You're just going to see the salvation of the Lord. And that's what they saw. They saw a battlefield littered with your enemies. And it was 100% casualties. And it was 100% fatalities. You know, when you talk about casualties, casualties means people wounded and killed in battle. It's a combination. You don't always expect that 
you know, to have 100% casualties, meaning 100% that are wounded and or dead, but you sure don't expect 100% killed in action, KIA. But that's what they found. Everybody was dead. Better than that, what's it say? And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them. Another thing you've got to understand, in those days, you carried a lot of stuff with you. You had to take, you know, your provisions for the way. Hey, what if the battle lasted longer than you thought? Well, you had to have money to buy more provisions with you, right? So they had wealth with them. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches, excuse me, both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering the spoil. It was so much. Imagine a battle where you're facing a foe who's just wiped himself out, and it takes you more than three days to go out, pick through the bodies, get all the treasure, cart it off, come back, pick through the bodies, cart it off. Three days. Is that a deliverance from the Lord? I mean, you normally would go into combat praying fervently that you come back alive and that your army is the one who's victorious. It's not very often that you go into battle and, ex- and expect to have no casualties, much less to come back with the whole wealth of the enemy army that you faced. Three days worth. And afterwards, what do we have? Verse 26, And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Berakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place, same place was called the valley of Berakah unto this day. Then they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. Took them three days to collect all the goods. Then what do they do? They go back a fourth day to do nothing but praise the Lord on the battle site with the evidence in front of them. And then they come back to Jerusalem, and who's leading the nation again? It's Jehoshaphat. He's in the lead. And what are they doing? They're rejoicing. They're praising the Lord. Verse 28. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. Wasn't enough. They wanted to go to the house of the Lord and celebrate now. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet. For his God gave him rest round about. After the joy, joyful procession from the battlefield, they go and have an assembly in the temple. And afterwards, they all go home to enjoy peace. All the nations around feared the Lord and protected them. There's five... Five verses from these chapters. And one verse that kind of helps explain it. I'd like to leave with you is takeaways from this study. And then we'll mention a few lessons and we'll be dismissed. Over in Second Chronicles 15.2. <clears throat> 
Second Chronicles 15.2 And he went out to meet Asa. This is one of the prophets after the great victory over that million man army. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Brethren, those words are as true to us today as they were to Asa or to Jehoshaphat. The Lord will be with us while we're with him. And if we seek his face, we will find him. But rest assured, it's just as true that if we forsake him, he'll forsake us. But that's not what we want to emphasize today. We want to emphasize the fact that when you seek the Lord, he will be found. Brethren, we're ending up another year. 2014 is in front of us. We will have new challenges. We saw it in their lives. They had blessing, they had peace, then they had challenges. It's life in this world for us, brethren. When those challenges come, seek the Lord. You'll find Him. And not just intellectually. Seek Him for your protection and He'll be there. You'll find Him as your protector. Chapter 16, verse 9 of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 16, 9. The word that came to Asa when he didn't avail himself of God's protection and blessing. But let's look at it from a positive standpoint. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Again, we want to see the full picture God gives us, the good and the bad. But think about that first part, brethren. The Lord is looking for us. He's looking for those that he can show himself strong on the behalf of. What does it take on our part to be those that he wants to show himself for? Seek him with a perfect heart. Look for him. Go after him. He'll be found. He's looking for us to seek him. So he can show himself strong for us. Chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. Part of what our friend Jehoshaphat said. And he said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Excuse me, this is the prophet Jehu to him. And thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Brethren, I don't care how big the opponent is. I don't care how dire the circumstances. If you seek the Lord, He'll deliver you. It doesn't matter. Matter of fact, it's almost a better sign that He will deliver you if the odds are bigger, because He'll get the glory for it. So seek his face. A few verses down, verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. 
And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall you be established. Believe his prophets. So shall you prosper. Believe the Lord. Believe the men who are bringing his message. And you'll prosper. And then over in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. Really is kind of a summary of, of what we've been learning. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Brethren, believe the Lord. Accept what he says. When you get a message from God, take a hold of it. Claim it as your own. Then step forward in faith following it. And you'll be blessed. What are the lessons we can get from this? The Lord is with his people. Very obviously. We're talking about supernatural deliverance here that couldn't come from any other way but from the Lord. He is capable and willing to deliver us in any circumstance. I mean, brethren, we've looked at battle circumstances. You go throughout Scripture. You can see health circumstances. You can see financial circumstances. Anything you can think about, Scripture has an example of where the Lord delivered His people. He's capable and He's willing to deliver us. He often sends challenges and tests into our lives. The Lord will often test us on these things, brethren. And not because he's some green meanie up there who just likes to make a squirm, but to help show us these things. Notice, he, what, what was the one of that verse we said? That he's, he's looking to and fro to show who he can be great in front of. We well, you know what happens all too often, brethren? We get a little bit of his blessing and we think it's because we are something. Oh, I am so smart. Oh, I am so good and holy and righteous. Oh, I can do anything. Well. You're aiming for a fall there. So the Lord has to send us circumstances to bring us low so he can show himself mighty. When? When we seek him. The Lord will send us correction through his word, through other brethren, through his ministers. The Lord will send us correction. Because tell me, who of us These were great kings we're talking about here, brethren. I'm not Jehoshaphat's equal. I wouldn't claim to be Asa's equal. But they made mistakes. The greatest man we know of outside the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture is David. And think about his life. The Lord's going to send us correction. We can be fools. Like Asa was at the end. Or we can be wise men, like his son Jehoshaphat was. 
How we react to that correction is the key. Do we in faith grab a hold of the promises of God? Do we humble ourselves and admit we're wrong and go to the Lord and seek His guidance? That's when we're going to be blessed. Those who seek His face, who call on and trust in Him, they're delivered as they obey. May the Lord help us that we can be true believers in everything that He says. And may Jesus Christ be lifted up and magnified in our lives.